Welcome to The Evidence-Based Therapist, a podcast where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find three therapists discussing cutting-edge research articles, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Welcome back to The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Today, we're jumping into an article from Crittenden, Patricia Crittenden, and Mary Heller called The Roots of Chronic Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, Childhood Trauma, Information Processing, and Self-Protective Strategies. What are the feelings right now? Yes. A lot of excitement. A lot of excitement. A little uh, overwhelm. Overwhelm, okay. At the the amount of information. Yes. This thing is dense. And it's only 10 pages. Of yeah. double space text, so not very dense, but so much. But dense. Yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful springboard into so yes. many discussions that are paradigm shifting and um, relieving, but also kind of challenging to the therapist. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, very excited to dive in. Yeah, I like that. There's like some old familiar like attachment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like okay, okay, I'm used to that. But then, oh, information processing Ooh, systems. I've heard of that. Don't really know what that is. Yep. Glad they define it. Glad they define mm-hmm. it. Glad they gave me a definition right out of the gate. There you go. <laughs> yes. So, Bridger, this was your article. So you're Heck gonna... yes, it was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew that share... this would be the first article yes. because to me it holds everything. Um, and it, it is a beautiful um, example of how we can study things uh, through empirical Uh, inquiry such Mm -hmm. as like a quantitative study which is what this is Mm -hmm. where they were looking at attachment styles specifically european attachment styles which is a little different we'll get into that Mm -hmm. it's not just security and insecurity Mm -hmm. this is about strategies here right but it's using that framework to explain how we adapt to some really dangerous situations throughout our life and maybe situations that we don't think are so dangerous but they still create really profound uh strategies adaptation strategies yes and the paradigm shifting understanding of what does that mean in terms of how we make sense of a PTSD diagnosis, mm-hmm. both in diagnosis and then in effective treatment for that presentation. And they do a really good job of nuancing that in some ways that I haven't encountered in other reading. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the, just in kind of the uh, abstract or the background of this article, they say, we propose a developmental process in which unprotected and uncomforted danger in childhood would be associated with quote-unquote shortcuts Yes. in information processing that in adulthood could result in PTSD mm-hmm. if the adult experienced additional exposure to danger. That right there kind of changes the game yes. of how we think about onset of PTSD, uh, even the reason for PTSD, why a system yes. would mm-hmm. choose PTSD as a strategy mm-hmm. and how that evolves in a in a brain and in a mind that is in relationship Mm -hmm. with other people. Mm -hmm. So just to give a little bit of background on the article, um, this is uh, the population included 66 participants split into three groups that were 22 with chronic PTSD, uh, 22 adults with other psychiatric diagnoses, and 22 quote-unquote normative adults without any diagnosis. Uh, And this is good scientific method here. They want to compare each clinical population across um, something they call the dynamic maturational model, which we'll get into more of that, and traditional uh, attachment inventory, adult attachment inventory uh, answers. So uh, we'll we'll let the article unfold, Mm -hmm. but just just off of what we've discussed so far, what are your what are your guys' thoughts? What are you thinking? I was immediately intrigued by 
what the differences would be in the, you know, the 22 that immediately presented with a PTSD diagnosis versus the other psychiatric diagnoses. Um, Simply because at BHC, we conceptualize that every diagnosis has its roots in trauma. So I was very, very curious about what is this going to reveal in terms of are there differences? Mm -hmm. If yes, what are the differences? Mm -hmm. And how does that begin to kind of nuance our explanation of what we mean in terms of every diagnosis has its roots in trauma, but that doesn't mean that every person that experiences trauma will we'll then qualify for a PTSD diagnosis. Yeah. Yes. And so I feel like I, I immediately felt curious about how this article was going to nuance that yes. understanding, yes. which it, it does. Yeah. Oh, we'll it talk so about does. Why. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, I would just say I'm, I was, what particularly stood out to me is sort of the end, the challenge that they have to therapists and yes. uh, how we organize our therapy to adjust for the way our client is um, prioritizing and integrating information. Mm-hmm. And there's a risk yes. that we predispose. Yes. And some... I think even hearing information, like discovering mm-hmm. information, that changes based on a person's lived experience. So mm-hmm. not just integrating, but actually even making sense of information as it comes into the brain yeah. through all the empirical senses of sight, yeah. touch, smell, hearing, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm also very curious, you know, we um, are sort of probably under a little bit of a lullify effect with this mm-hmm. reconceptualization of some of these psychiatric disorders as adaptive strategies. Yes. And that, that paradigm is shift is, huge. I'm, I'm, it's huge. And it's what we, we are so for that paradigm mm-hmm. shift. Um, but I also can imagine that there may be some listeners who were like us at one point who stumbled onto this and were like, Oh my goodness. Yeah, like, wait a second. What are you saying? This is so, so let's say this strategy. Let's say this again in really black and white terms. We believe Come that every, <laughs> say it. every psychiatric diagnosis in the DSM is a direct result mm-hmm. of an adaptive survival strategy of the human nervous system to an overwhelming situation in their environment. Yes. That includes bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizophrenia. all of them. Yep. Yeah. Narcissism. Narcissism. Borderline. All of them. Anxiety disorders. Yes. Yes. Depression. Anything in the DSM. Anything in the ICD. Yes. It is a adaptive strategy. Yeah. That made sense at the time that no longer is I think this is great. They throw this in at the end of the article, Mm -hmm. which is like a Christopher Nolan effect right now. Mm. It changes everything. That's right. But it does because they cite this... um, they cite this organization, and, and Crittenden and Heller are both in the UK. And yes. so they cite this organization that's British Psychological Society. But the Division of Clinical Psychology in 2013 published a public statement, which I love that this this was said. And I'm just going to read it for what it is because mm-hmm. I think it's so mm-hmm. provocative. And in the article, they don't put it in directly in the article, but they reference it. Mm-hmm. Um, they say the... Uh, Divisional Division of Clinical Psychology is of the view that it is timely and appropriate to affirm publicly that the current classification system as outlined in the DSM and the ICD in respect of the functional psychiatric diagnoses has significant conceptual and empirical limitations. Consequently, there is a need for a paradigm shift in relation to the experiences that these diagnoses refer to towards a conceptual system which is no longer based on a disease model. Amen. Dude. Yeah. So, Public so good. Public statement yeah. from Public statement. 
division of clinical psychology. Yes, and this is this is paralleled with psychologists in the U.S. and in a lot of other places that are calling for a radical shift in the way that we approach diagnosis, mm-hmm. not throwing out the DSM and ignoring classification systems no, altogether, no, 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 no. but going back to in you know one of the very first publications mm. of the DSM in the introduction That's right. of the DSM. I love saying this to students. Yes, yes I know. It just minds. blows your mind. It says in the introduction of the DSM, this is not meant to be used for specific, uh, I, I believe they actually say insurance classification. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this yes. is not meant to be used yes. in this way. And it's These specifically approximations yes. of symptomological mm. presentation. Yes. yes. And they had no intention of the DSM ever being utilized to categorize the experience of human beings for the person per specific purpose of classifying them for insurance reimbursement. Yes. And yet that has become the standard of how insurance reimburses. And so it is mm-hmm. uh, a driving force in our industry that the writers of this diagnostic manual originally never, ever meant, in fact, went so far as to say, don't use it don't this do way. Don't do it. And then we did. So I think that's worth highlighting because we're all on the same page. Yeah. Well, maybe not we all are. That might be too much. But there's a lot of us. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is true. On the same page that this this was a mistake in our industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That utilizing the DSM in any diagnostic classification system um, in a rigid black and white um, boxes to if put you're not people this, in way. You have to be this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And if you don't exactly meet criteria, then none of this applies to relevant. you. You must not have had real trauma if you don't meet the criteria. Yeah. And for I think that's PTSD. it's an overgeneralization to say that clinicians don't care unless it meets a classification, mm-hmm. but it is the way insurance looks at it. Well, we are pushed into that yes. situation. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. If it doesn't meet these standardized, right. which what does that mean when you start talking exactly. about human behavior? Yeah. Standardized. Uh, classification criterion, mm-hmm. then you can't give them the diagnosis. And right. if you can't give them the diagnosis, this is not reimbursable. We won't pay. And therefore, and then, they can't get treatment. So there the is a real-life effect. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Absolutely. As well as in, I would just say, in that intersubjective sphere with the client, mm-hmm. you change an objectifying gaze to a compassionate understanding mm-hmm. in which you take yes. the client from a person who is the diagnosis to you conceptualize and contextualize mm-hmm. their adaptive strategies look at the how rest creative of their the system yeah. is yeah. yes yeah so so there was a um, when i was reading this article one of the things that is they were using that language of adaptive strategy oh, shortcuts yes. right um, this question of you know how do we take this information in this article and apply it into real life situations sitting in the therapy room one of the questions that I think holding in mind constantly is whatever the client is presenting with, constantly asking ourselves, why does this make sense? Yeah. If I understand every presentation, every symptom as an adaptive strategy That's right. that was created for the specific purpose of survival what of previous of danger, this yeah, 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 then this has got to be for a really good reason. Yes. Mm-hmm. And our job as a therapist is to collaboratively discover why was this a good idea? Yeah. Because it was totally a you good idea. You have to at one reckon point. with that if you're going to suggest change to yes. the system. Yes. You have to you have to understand the why behind their system choosing that so strategy. So that you can offer a different it, yes. method While of saying survival. To the system, I know why you chose that 
yes. that strategy. And it makes sense. And it makes total yeah. sense at the time, but it's not serving you well anymore. Right. Because right. of these the things, price it's that you're causing paying, you more pain. Yes. The price that you're paying is too high. And there are specific situations where that's not true. That's not true. And that's why we get what we quote unquote call resistant clients who Which are not actually not resistant. Even a thing. They're just prioritizing their own survival. They're saying, therapist, sorry, <laughs> uh, the thing you're suggesting me to do does right. not outweigh. No. Yes. No, my yes. need to survive in this situation is greater than what you're telling me is a maladaptive behavior. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And who are you to even say what's right, maladaptive right. to You me? don't know what is required of me to survive in the environment that I'm in. That's right. So back to the article. No, that's in the article. I <laughs> promise you. That is in the you. article. Um, True. And I love that this is the this is the opening line to the introduction, which mm -hmm. is up to now the roots of post-traumatic stress disorder have been have not been well understood. We wonder if that was partly attributable to considering it a disorder rather than an adaptive process gone awry. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Yes. What a way to start the article. Yes. I was immediately excited. Oh, yeah. Yes. So there was another thing, you know, that came straight out of the, um, the abstract and then, again, in the introduction that I feel like is kind of an important piece to visit right out of the gate, which is their definition and the way that they really simply, but I think profoundly define information processing. Mm. Um, because information processing is not something that most of us were exposed to in grad school. It's not something that therapists talk about regularly. It kind of blends into uh, a neuroscientific understanding of what it means to be a human being with a brain and a nervous system. So their simple but really powerful definition of information processing is basic associative and dissociative yes and integrative processing used by all humans that's right mm -hmm. yeah so so the it's looking at this um process that we all are doing all the time every single day yeah of when information comes into our system what do i do with it mm -hmm. do i associate it or do I dissociate it? Mm -hmm. And this begins to really nuance our definition of what dissociation is. That's right. And what that actually means and why it happens mm -hmm. for humans that have undergone trauma. Yeah. And and Crittenden actually uses Perry yes. as a citation for this sort of conceptualization as, as the people in her study are in the study, they're relying upon these strategies that developed mm -hmm. through time. So present danger is interpreted through these associative and dissociative networks mm -hmm. that were developed early on in life. Yeah, yes. which is I love that Perry is the first reference. The first, <laughs> yes. Made us feel really good about this article. Yes. Absolutely, Two of very our much. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so there was another sentence in here that just really stood out to me. Yeah. I'm just curious, like, how did you guys react to this when when you read it? Yes. So protective and comforting behaviors of caregivers becomes a mediating factor in the development of PTSD. Mm. Oh, man. Whoa. To me, it gets at something that we talk about when we do trainings of don't just, you know, in, in looking at Maslow, don't just look at if the need was met, mm. but look at how, how it, it was, was met. met. Under what conditions. Yes, and how was acceptance and attunement made yes. contingent yes. on the method of receiving and understanding right. the information. Which is another really great and practical question to sit with as a therapist when we're with our clients. What did the client have to do yes. as a child? Oh, man to get their need for comfort and protection met. What did I have to do as a kid 
to get my parent to pay enough attention to me when I was in distress, could I yes, get them to pay I attention to me mm-hmm. in distress? And this, this, that question of what did I have to do as a kid to get my parent or my caregiver to pay enough attention to me to give me the protection and the comfort that I needed and understanding that that is a mediating factor in the development of PTSD starts to uh, lean in the direction of understanding how much attachment theory is laid over the top of the development of PTSD, which is exactly what this article does. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And something that I think we all kind of knew intuitively, mm-hmm. but this is actually looking at the direct overlap. Yes. And that's why they chose the clinical population yes. that they did. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I did, and so you guys are going to hear me with paper over here because I'm old school and I printed out the article and got on my highlighters and my post yeah. notes mm-hmm. and you two with your computers, that's fine. But I like to read on paper. So you're going to hear me. (laughs) You're going to hear me moving around my post it notes and paper (laughs) over here because that's how I work. Um, But so immediately on reading the abstract and the first portion of the introduction, I drew this with a little arrow of, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So what it is, is um, a spectrum with dismissive or dismissive attachment style on one end and then preoccupation Uh on the other end. And immediately looking at the parallel between the strategy that the person created in order to deal with trauma is their attachment style and strategy. Like there is literally no difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And this is, I think, important to note here is the difference between American attachment theory and uh, European attachment theory, which the European attachment theory doesn't use necessarily a categorical system as much as it does a spectrum, kind of like the Mm -hmm. one you're describing, where it's it's combinations of... Uh, energy and of uh, strategy mm-hmm. that um, make the mitigation of threat and danger possible with a given attachment figure. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say you have one style that you use exhaustively. It's you are learning constantly what amount of which strategies work best with this attachment figure to get this need met specifically. Mm-hmm. Yes, to get yes. protection and comfort specifically. That's right. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And they become more complex over time. Oh, yes. As I you think, grow older, yeah, they, they evolve. The, the American categorical system is, um, I think, a little too simple It's rigid. Not, too, mm-hmm. not a little too simple. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. vastly oversimplified. Yeah. Which yes. I think is maybe why, um, as a field, we have kind of missed the relevance and importance of attachment yeah. in understanding trauma it's reactions. It's only relevant yeah. in uh, studying infancy, right? Right. Well, and are you secure or insecure? And most right. people are secure, so we don't really need to worry yeah. about yeah. the 70%, 70% are secure. Are secure. Yeah. God, yeah. how is that even true? Like, whatever yeah. that study was, I'm curious. the categorical system, speaking of the DSM, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. do they yes. meet this criteria? Then yeah. they're secure. Right. Yeah. Which is probably why also people get like really excited for like an hour. Yeah. They're like, oh, there's like... <laughs> Attachment styles. Oh, this is so awesome, and then yeah. you, it's like watered Do down, and you're kind of like, oh, like okay, okay. Well, is this is a personality test. Yeah. yeah, I guess I'm fine because yeah. I have a secure attachment style. But do you? No. If you put it on the European spectrum, no, you don't. No, you do yeah. not. <laughs> Which the, you have a strategy. The wholeness of the DMM, yeah, the, the dynamic maturation model, Crittenden's yeah. dynamic maturation model, it it is displayed in its figure because it is circular. That's right. Which mm-hmm. feels like a coloring wheel. Yeah, yeah, and and it is a coloring wheel. Yeah. It goes green, red, blue, to is it purple? Yeah. Yeah, down at the bottom, um, and it is so so rich and so whole with many different classifications um, that is kind of interwoven throughout it all, and I think that just feels more true to the complexity of one just being a human and also relating to another human as mm-hmm. a human, mm-hmm. and and just I'm not going to rely only on 
one very small categorical set of behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think in one of the summary sentences that really uh, summed it up, uh, well, sorry, that's redundant, but my mind is thinking too fast (laughs) uh, for my Mm -hmm. mind. Um, But it says, although the brain has evolved to give preferential attention to signs of danger, the long period of childhood is needed for children Mm -hmm. to learn to recognize the signs of danger and to organize self-protective strategies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This developmental process shapes how the brain organizes and functions in the future. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I highlighted highlighted that exact same sentence. Yes. Mm -hmm. Childhood being the necessary period of learning to recognize signs of danger and organize self-protective strategies. Yeah. Which they, they use the word, the phrase shortcuts. Yeah. Um, they're neurobiological shortcuts. Yes. These things that we do as adaptations to experiences of danger, when the direct method of the ideal situation of a caregiver giving us protection and comfort without any necessary strategy. Yeah, yeah. Right? Just because the danger is present, my caregiver offers comfort and uh, protection, but nine times out of ten, that does not occur. Yeah. Because the adult experience of what is dangerous is so different than the child's experience. Yes. Mm-hmm. And by the time we're an adult, we forget yeah. what it feels like to be yeah. a kid. And we have our own strategies of uh, yes. uh, right. diminishing danger and forgetting what it feels like to be small in a little body and totally dependent. And so the majority of the time, children have to have some kind of strategy of getting those protection and comfort needs met. And that that idea that childhood is basically one long experience of nervous system programming yes. as a survival strategy. Yes. That's it. That's, That's right. what it means to be a child. That's right. This is super relevant for anybody that works with children or, or has them person. or was one <laughs> or plans to have them. No, this is super relevant. Yeah. And so so as a parent, as a therapist, the idea that my number one job is to help my child effectively navigate or my client that's a child effectively navigate how to accurately and calmly perceive and respond to danger and then trust that comfort and protection is available. And when it is not available, how do I make sense of that experience and avoid that threat in the future? That is our job with kids. Which if you just think about how many assumptions are there in identifying threat and identifying what's a strategy, what means a a strategy is successful. Um, What is a reasonable response versus an overreaction? What do my attachment figures think of my strategy? Is it acceptable, not acceptable, good, bad, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she gives like a, a really good sort of analogy to go off of, which is a child who is attacked by, uh, who is alone yes. at night, yes. who is attacked by a male in a red jacket. Yes. And understanding how each mm. each attachment style, A, B, C, or A, C, would understand and um, prioritize take away information from. Yes. from that event. So, Caleb, do you feel like you can give definitions of each of those types yeah. with that example because i feel like that's a really useful way well she goes on to yeah. do types. it but yeah. so a type a strategy would be a preoccu or a dismissive dismissive strategy meaning they would totally dismiss the whole event yeah. as a whole i yeah. i was just randomly attacked right it was it was didn't just mean a, anything yeah didn't coincidental, affect me. coincidental mm-hmm. i'm not prioritizing any of the information because that's yeah. how i have 
gone on living my life and being able to deal with that and if you're thinking that's a that's a healthy way of going through that you might have a dismissive attachment dismissive attachment attachment. yes yes Yes. to say oh yeah just completely depersonalize it it's not about you yeah it's just it's something that happened Yeah. yeah yeah a type c strategy which is a preoccupied strategy would focus on a, a, a particular stimuli or sensation yeah. or the of color that of the, jacket. the color of the jacket every person so then their body would feel anxious yeah. and activated right. around any red jacket Ooh, here's a really hard one well i i can feel safer around women just not men exactly well that looks real rational on the surface mm-hmm. yeah. problematic yes, in real life absolutely <laughs> and indicative of yeah. this type of uh, association yes. strategy this information yes. processing yes. strategy men yeah. are predators yeah exactly. yeah yeah and then add on that you as a therapist have your own style that's mm-hmm. right and so you have a you have somebody who says i'm i feel only comfortable around women and i can't feel comfortable around right. men and if I'm dismissive, I'm just going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. If I'm preoccupied, there's a potential that I could Darn right. further augment stay that. Yeah, stay away from men. I don't um, like them either. Yeah. yeah. And I, if I'm dangerous. dismissive, I'd just be like, <laughs> you know, gender is kind of this thing. I, I don't know if we need to wor- worry about that. We'll worry about something else. Right. Totally miss the empathetic understanding of their statement. Yes. Right. Or as a preoccupied therapist, I could augment them further yeah. into that strategy and create and this more is where attention. I'm going to inject one of my things that I, I feel like I, I care so much about in the room, in the therapy room, which is uh, the basic tenet of phenomenology, mm-hmm. which is, okay, suspend your, uh, you as the therapist, suspend your ideas of what you think needs to happen in this moment to help this person get over this uh, trigger or this thing or whatever it is mm-hmm. why are they caring about this the information that they're choosing yes. to hold on to and this is the relevance of including a good working knowledge of the information processing system yeah not just attachment not just you know traumatology or whatever we want to call it right um, not just knowing what a trigger is and all of that but the way that the brain chooses to process right. the information of because that that's what that they're communicating what overwhelm them the most about the situation as well as how they chose to get through it and bring themselves to where they are right now and even more it's speaking to the predictive quality of what the human brain wants to do exactly right so anytime we experience something that feels like a threat our our prediction making self which is a really dominant part of ourself goes into overdrive which is one of the main features of ptsd yes is hypervigilance is an overactivation of our predictive making self yes uh, prediction making self and in this analogy or in this example that uh, hypervigilance is going to take all bits of information including the color of the jacket yep mm-hmm. totally irrelevant to anything there but because it was a piece of information that was included in that experience, it now gets associated That's right. and highlighted in our system and said, this is a signal of threat. And this is one of those moments where we go, oh, yeah, the logical self and the prefrontal cortex have nothing to do with processing trauma. Yes, <laughs> because the information that they're aware of no. has been, already been filtered over and over and yes. over again yeah. through these yes. processes. Yes, and, and my system is still saying Red Jacket was part of this process, and therefore I am associating it as part of the threat, and I will forever and always hate Red Jackets. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the over-prioritization yes. Yes, right. of a stimuli that yeah. should have been contextualized. Signature Should have been contextualized. Yeah. And that piece of it is where, as the therapist, we can come in and help. So yeah. what you didn't say was strategy B. 
Yeah. So talk about B. Strategy B would be the secure, yes. which would have a sort of grounded integration yes. throughout the way they perceive information. Mm -hmm. So in this context, they would probably say, okay, I was alone at night. Mm -hmm. That's probably a thing that maybe I should be more aware of. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I shouldn't always be alone at night. And right. it doesn't mean it was my fault. Nope. And it, yeah, it's definitely not my fault. Right. Yeah. Um, I was also unaware of my surroundings mm -hmm. that someone could come up to me. Okay, so I need to take that into account. Right. Um, I, I think the fact that the kid, yeah. it was a kid, Yes. I think the kid, if they were a B strategy, would have a parent that's probably telling them, hey, maybe like when you're that young, right. maybe we should be with an adult. Mm -hmm. yes. And so you have all, of, these, dark all yes. of this stimuli. Yeah. That is kind of still there, still yeah. present for yeah. for all of the strategies, yes. but is now integrated and held into the experience. And I think one thing that's very that's very different about a B strategy is the likelihood that they will take it to an attachment yes. figure, and that mm. that experience will be healing. Yeah. Right. A collaborative strategy. Yes, and that is why there's a distinction between the protective quality of the secure attachment figure and the comforting quality. Yeah. Because in that scenario, parent is going to do a couple of different things. Number one, they're not going to shame the child for having been in that situation. This is B strategy. Yeah, this is the B strategy yeah. mm -hmm. ideal, and this is the one that we want to try to replicate as the therapist. That's right. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. So when we're processing the trauma with a client after the fact, we're looking at all of the elements of that and trying to contextualize it for them and yeah. saying, okay, in this scenario, it was not your fault, but moving forward, what would it look like for you to be appropriately self-protective in similar yeah. situations? And I know it's going to be scary. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's okay. Yeah. Your body yeah. has good reason to be scared yes. of these things. And and we want those alarm bells to yeah. appropriately go off. When the sun goes down and you're six years old, your body should say, hey, I should go home now. Yes. And maybe <laughs> we need want some help. Yeah, we, we want that to happen. Yes. And yeah. and so um, that is the contextualization of, okay, that's a relevant factor. Sun going down, it's getting dark, I'm far away from home, we have an issue that I need to be responding to. What is not relevant information is that that person was wearing a red jacket. Yeah. And so the contextualization of that means that when the child is processing that with the ideal attachment figure after the fact, the parent would give context and say, here's what's relevant. Here's what you need to pay attention to in the future. Here's what's not so relevant. Both yes. of you are smiling yeah. at me. What's happening right now? Yeah, <laughs> I've, I don't know. I have, I have a ton of fireworks. <laughs> I know, one, uh, one of the things that I was just like, I was reviewing the article and some of the things that just got me so jacked. And um, the idea that Crittenden's model has on the A side mm -hmm. has an emphasis of cognition so the yes. dismissive tendency okay. is going to drift more towards the abstract thought representations of the experience yes so it's omitted affect and distorted cognition so as mm. the okay so as the the child would come to the parent in creating this shortcut mm -hmm. i just imagine a furrowed brow in the parent well what what were you doing out yeah why did you do that you know, yep. it's subtly uh, kind of hinting at and giving cues to the child that, oh, did I do something that, mm -hmm. did I, yep. is this my fault? Yeah. Now, or, now take it a step further. Yeah, even the, worse than that. Well, yes. I was seeing the therapist that asks, mm. what were you wearing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or exactly. why were you there? Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Those sort of questions. Were you drunk? Yes. Did you deserve this? Right. And, and even if, you know, hopefully no therapist in their right mind would ever say something along those lines. 
But if if we recognize that our client is showing up with this dismissive tendency, yeah, yeah. then we have to remember that the things that we say are going to be run through that dismissive lens. That's right. Mm-hmm. They that are filter. Pre, yeah, they're predisposed to interpret whatever we say through that. And yep. so being really, really conscious of mm-hmm. that shapes the way yeah. that we interact Because what you're going to say people. to a dismissive is going to be different than what you say to a preoccupied right which you yeah. say that you know really offhandedly except that's one of the main conclusions of this article i know yeah so, but <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's so huge. true to, to, to mention yeah. here but so yeah. in that, so there's the that's the a yeah. omitted negative affect and distorted cognition then you have the c side which is omitted cognition yeah. and distorted yeah. affect yes yeah oh. and then you get to the disorganized the, the, AC, the combination. ac combination which is integrated transformed delusional affect and delusional cognition where you are you are then telling yourself like just delusional stories about it and bringing in an affect that is totally um incongruent with the experience and i feel like you just described exactly why we believe that every diagnosis in the dsm is a manifestation of trauma Mm. yes yes yeah Including schizophrenia, Absolutely. including bipolar, including, yeah. exactly because yeah. you just gave a pretty succinct definition of, of the roots of all of those diagnoses. Yeah, yep. and return stuff. Return to what we said at the start. Those are adaptive strategies. They're very adaptive. And ask yourself, why does why? this make sense? Why, why would does it, it make sense, sense to <gasps> get delusional? Yeah. Why? What? What? When reality world? unfolding around you doesn't make sense, yes. it's a great strategy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or it's so overwhelming that it yeah. is preferable to live an in alternate. an alternate reality. Yep. Or if I am living with a parent who, as they try and attempt to contextualize and comfort me, what they offer me is delusional information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if my parent had that same strategy we inherit the strategies that we see displayed in front of us. Yes, and that, and I think where where Crittenden goes in, in just getting back to the title of the article, The Roots of Chronic Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder, mm-hmm. it's about PTSD is this manifestation. It is it, it is a mismatch of the, the cognition and the affect. It's mm-hmm. not being able to tell what was the threat, what wasn't mm-hmm. the threat. All the information gets stored uh, kind of just like haphazardly, haphazardly and, and largely unhelpfully yes. in the brain. But yes. it just sends that uh, threat detection system into overdrive that it's just going to constantly be aware of things unfolding around it. And this is what they were going to look at is were children that were put into quote unquote insecure situations or faced danger in the past that were not attuned to, are they more likely to develop PTSD? Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So as a kind of summary of this portion of the conversation nice yeah helpful sticky note yes i've got a sticky note (laughs) and this is just a quote straight out of the article with a little bit of my own you know a little uh, flourish yeah um so conclusion ptsd treatment facilitated by the provision of a protective and supportive therapist who is focused on correction of information processing errors and use of more adaptive strategies is our goal Mm -hmm. basically as the therapist the practical application of everything that we're talking about is how do we recreate the the contextualizing conversation that they should have been able to have with a caregiver as a child Mm. that they did Mm -hmm. not get yeah that is a very very practical takeaway from everything that that they're saying is as the therapist do we know what it means to be protective appropriately of our clients to be comforting appropriately, and then help them contextualize the experience appropriately. 
which, by the way, requires oh, us man. to do a lot of our own work. Holy yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. Holy cow. Yeah. And for you not to be stirred up in that, yes. you know, it, it yes. does yeah. take a lot of, a lot yeah. of mm-hmm. She uses the phrase that I highlighted, integrative correction. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, which it's just speaks of so many things. But one of the things that it brought to mind for me was, um, and we'll probably talk about on Ecker, no. Mm-hmm. and memory reconsolidation right. and that the science of, of yeah, yeah, neuroscience of, yeah, of this concept in which you're bringing this up in the therapeutic session you're enacting the strategy yes. you're saying I see it and the I'm giving you a I mismatch came. experience yes. that I am not a disconfirming experience yeah, I'm going to be what you didn't needed. experience before and yeah. it's going to be kind of disorienting right. but it's going to be what you needed yes. right. yeah I love that language right. Melissa. and then we're going to begin to integrate affect and cognition mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so just purely because I'm obsessed with practical application, which I think is good. Yes. Can can one of you guys think of a really short, simple example of what it looks like practically to do this with a client? So client walks in, they tell you a story of a trauma. And so now you're sitting in this space and you're asking yourself these questions that we've been talking about and trying to imagine what would it mean for me as a therapist right now to give them protection, to give them comfort, and help them appropriately contextualize this experience to help with the reconsolidation of that memory and therefore the healing of this trauma. Yeah, I think each of us is going to have a different way of doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is okay. Yeah, which is yeah. beautiful. For me, I even I pay so much attention to the way they're starting to talk to me, mm-hmm. the way they're highlighting different aspects of the trauma, even how they find themselves in relation to the trauma as, as they currently present it. The traumatizer, yes. uh, whether you know, depending on what the situation was. Um, but for me, I deal so much with going straight back to the ways that their parents responded to them, yes. even with a, a small thing like, yes. um, you know, a, sm- a boy, uh, four years old, comes to uh, his mother with this exciting uh, science project, and the mother, because of something that was going on with her, completely dismissed mm. it, and that crushed him. Mm. It sent him into this space of mom doesn't care about my interests, mm-hmm. which he dismissed mm-hmm. and just thought, you know, she was busy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whatever. I didn't care about that. Yeah, that didn't actually that. affect me. No attention given to why it hurts so bad mm-hmm. to watch mm-hmm. his mother take what he was showing her and put it on a table and walk away. Mm-hmm. No attention given to that. Mm-hmm. And so even just like stopping right there and just saying, what would it Whoa, feel like yeah. Yeah, yeah, for your daughter? Because this person that I'm thinking of had a daughter that, you know, what would it feel like for you to dismiss your daughter like that? And he's like, oh. I can't imagine. I can't. I would never do that. It would crush Mm -hmm. her. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. It would? Now we have this moment of we have a reenacted strategy coming up. And we're able to say, imagine how four-year-old you felt. Just think about it for just a second. Mm -hmm. What it was like to watch your mom react to something you were so excited and couldn't wait to show her Mm -hmm. with not only a lack of enthusiasm but a complete disinterest and annoyance Mm -hmm. in setting it down taking it away from you setting it down Mm -hmm. and walking away from you Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. what i think of is um i am i think i'm very grounded in pvt in that Mm -hmm. moment Mm -hmm. yes in which i just as a dismissive style myself am keenly attuned to the opposite Mm. when someone is preoccupied and 
uh, sympathetically activated in recalling yes even a small event about some details or just like how they talk about their experience of it and so that to me is like okay we're here mm-hmm. or vice versa when a dismissive uh, tendency um, brings out this sort of like it doesn't matter mm-hmm. like that was no big deal to me and they say it in this sort of like yeah they're typically sat back in their chair yeah their crossed arms they're sort of like oh no like that they're wasn't displaying a their dismissal yeah in their yeah body. that wasn't a thing to me <laughs> don't worry about that yeah um and, and it's in that moment where i say okay we found it. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a fragmentation of experience mm-hmm. and stimuli in this in this room right now. That's right. And I, as the other half of this intersubjective experience, have to then I say the phrase like I wonder a yes. lot. Yes, mm-hmm. like I'm curious. I wonder about it. like, yeah. man, when you say that, my body feels this. Yes. And so I'm I'm trying to activate some mirror neurons and yes. some reflective functioning of just like. Okay, let's Why is he the feeling that? Yeah, affect. yeah, yes. and then yeah, I often have that. Oh, well, yeah, I guess I. I was feeling that. I again. was feeling that, or that would make sense. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think about mm-hmm. that part, mm-hmm. and it's that moment of like, okay, now we have both in hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think one of the things you'll find is that people might double down in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of just saying no. Oh. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. No, really. That's really what not you're a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really don't know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and if they do that, what do you do in that space? To me, and just personally, and maybe this is. Uh, it's all, it's yeah. all personal. Yeah. It's all personal. So I, I would, what I do is I leave it. Yeah. I mm-hmm. let it sit there. I do too. And, and I I'll linger sit in, in that space silence oh. for. Where okay. he rejected me. Or they rejected me in my attempt to attune with them. Yeah. Which is actually a self-rejection because that is yes. what the dismissive exactly. style is always doing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and the rejection of desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, yes. Yeah. So I just let that linger right in that space of just mm-hmm. feeling that whole thing be said in, no, that's not what I was feeling. Yeah. Or I don't know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just kind of let it echo in the yep. room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, around. and and <laughs> I use a ton of facial expressions, yep, yes. nonverbals, um, where I'll just kind of like, mm. like, almost like oh, a yeah. like a soft wince. Like, yes, yeah. like oh, ouch. Okay. Mm. And then I'll sometimes be like, I wonder why my body felt that. Yes, that's yeah. it. I just kind of wonder out loud. Just sit there for a little bit, and if they're still not yep. going, then it's like okay, yeah. maybe it's just me. Yeah. Or they might be watching you out of the corner of their eye. Oh, they oh are. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, wait a second, why is he reacting to this? Yeah. Does he know that I was reacting? Right. Mm-hmm. Does he know that that really did hurt me? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. But then with, yeah. The, with the more preoccupied tendency, I will often uh, hit what I'd like to call like a pause button, mm-hmm. or I just say, "Whoa." whoa that like i felt that yeah let's just like sit there and what i'm doing is i'm like pulling a part of the right hemisphere that yeah. is experiencing and saying and like, stopping the left this from hasn't, running away yeah mm-hmm. this hasn't been integrated. integrated with the left hemisphere yes. yeah narrating meaning making part mm-hmm. and i just want to sit there and like let's titrate this process yeah where all of the stuff that you just like mm-hmm. activatedly through. blew through <laughs> yeah right. let's go back right. and like really give your system Time. time and space well, and i think if we if we go back to understanding it as a strategy yes right so the strategy of the preoccupied style is i had to get this worked up 
I had to produce this much chaos yeah. in my system in order to get the attention yeah. of my caregiver. Yeah. And so the disconfirming experience for the preoccupied style is to go, whoa, whoa, you already got me. Yeah, yeah. I see that. I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm already feeling this with you. I know what a big deal this is. You yeah. don't. You don't need to show me. You can if you want to, but, but I'm, I'm right already there. thoroughly convinced That's right. yeah. that this is a big deal. In fact, yeah. I was convinced the moment you told me the story. If yeah. if you want to show me, I'm. I want to see it. But I already believe you. Yeah, that's right. And I that is that you. is such a dis- as a preoccupied style myself. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the space to just be with what happened rather than be performing the pain of it. Yeah, yeah. The preoccupied oh. style is in constant performance of their pain because they're going. Excuse me. Does anybody see how awful that it is, is so over here? Yeah. Right. So yes. so in the performance of their pain, if if as the therapist we know what's happening and we can say whoa whoa. I believe you already. Yeah. The the performance, if you need to do that, I'm here to witness it, but I don't actually need that in order to already want to care about you mm-hmm. and to move into protection and comfort. And I believe that's what you want and need. So maybe we could skip the performance and move straight into comfort and protection. Oh, and if I have good rapport with the client, we'll go that fast. But at the beginning, it's yeah. just those little comments of, I believe you. Yeah, I, yeah. I believed yeah. you from the first word. Yeah. I believed you before you believed you. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like, yes. I understand what this would yeah. have done to you and what this meant to you. And I can see that you had to work really hard to get anybody to pay attention to this pain. Yeah. Right? And so that is the disconfirming experience for the preoccupied yeah. style. And this is a great, I think, summary sentence. We propose that children who have not been sufficiently protected or comforted by their caregivers mm-hmm. may generate information processing shortcuts mm-hmm. yes. to reduce the perception of vulnerability yes. or increase their vigilance to threat or both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That to me right there goes to exactly what we're saying right now. Yeah. Um, and I think it's worth noting just to the listener that there are two dismissive styles in the room and one preoccupied. Hi. Can you yes. tell by our voice? Yes. <laughs> the, the twos and the nines and the threes. Yeah. In case you're wondering about the Enneagram uh, and how this uh, maps on, you probably weren't wondering that. But I do think that there's a lot of relevance to that. There is relevance. I think there's a lot of nuance to be had. Yes, there yes. is. Very yes. nuance. Very much. Yes. So where do you guys want to go from here? I don't know. There's so, so much. much. We're on uh, the third page of the article. Oh, okay, okay. So so here here's a piece that I would love to talk to you guys about. The strategies that we develop in response yeah. to our trauma leave us unprepared for when our strategies fail. Oh man. The flailing, this is a big thing. The flailing oh, that happens yeah. when a strategy fails. Yeah. Um to me this is where our 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 dis dysfunction or our uh, quote-unquote illnesses get really entrenched Mm -hmm. because we double down on our on our commitment to the strategy Mm -hmm. itself because it worked one time yes and it kept us safe and yes (laughs) dang it i'm gonna make it work this time because this is what i know how to do yeah Yeah. and if it doesn't well i can just borrow you know the dmm gets really creative of Mm -hmm. saying well i can just borrow a dismissive strategy and combine it with my normally Mm -hmm. preoccupied strategy Mm -hmm. in this one specific context with this person that won't believe me right Mm -hmm. or that won't uh attune with me Mm -hmm. fine i don't need them right Mm -hmm. now like that's Mm -hmm. fine Whatever, mm-hmm. but when a strategy fails, which uh, traditional American attachment theory stops really paying attention to the way it could shift over time, mm-hmm. whereas the DMM starts to say you develop over time, and yes. therefore so too does your attachment strategy yes. and your shortcomings. Mm-hmm. As your environment changes, and as, the as your relationship change, change. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that there's a lot of um, kind of richness in exploring that idea of we are unprepared for when the strategy fails, but we do not spontaneously then move to a more adaptive strategy. We mm-hmm. tend to move into that double downing of the not so great strategies. That's right. Yes. Um, and so because in, when it fails, it it like I like the like Crindon was saying, the vulnerability mm-hmm. um, is there to annihilation. Yes. That is the felt belief. Right. Is if my strategy fails, I will have nothing. Panic. Mm-hmm. Yes. I will have no. It's where the self ends. Yeah, yeah. It, I will have no protection. Danger yes. will consume me. Yeah. No, I need to double down. Which this is not necessarily in this article, but this is so relevant is our understanding that attachment is not about love or security. Even. No, it is about pure safety. It's literally Mitigating about danger staying and alive. Yes. Yeah. So when you think attachment. Think safety and survival. Do Don't think, think about love because love. if we're if we're not settled in our attachment, love is like so far away. This it's is a, a fantasy. Really, I know that's a really big statement to just make really flippantly, but it's we really true, believe though. it. Yeah. Crittenden was <laughs> and, supported, so it, <laughs> yes, and it, it explains a lot of the the malfunction and dysfunction that we see in quote unquote romantic relationships and love relationships is that because we are so um, untethered in our attachment style and we're still utilizing these strategies that were about safety and survival due to danger and trauma we move into these relationships as adults still trying to get these calling it love yes and Mm. and and using romantic strategies in order to get these needs met and that's exactly what the dmm is saying is that as we develop as a human as we get older and have new um, skills and tools available to us we just build on the foundation that we had when we were six years old we continue painting the canvas yes that's right and we get even more creative about how to go about being dismissive or how to go about being preoccupied. Yeah. Mm. And we call it romance. Yeah. And Caleb Hollywood makes there? movies. Well, yeah, I was just thinking about love is such a tertiary process. Like, <laughs> yes. Name a and more. Tertiary is, their tertiary is the corti- neocortical. Two lobes of the. You know, yeah, it's very conscious. It's mm-hmm. very linguistic. And it's very sort of nuanced association. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're talking like the highest part of the tree, yes. you can touch at least 20 branches with your arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas if you're down at the trunk, you've got the trunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you're just maybe like three feet up, you, t- yeah. you touch only two or three. Right. Yeah. So what, we, what we're talking about with love mm-hmm. is so, far so complex. Yeah. You're talking about multiple settings over time. Feeling secure in those settings yeah. with those people. Yeah, and you have to do so much integration and um, yes. differentiation of stimuli to know that it's not you or your partner. And right. there's just so much to love yes. that yeah. is so tertiary. And what we're talking about is we're talking about primary. deeply subcortical primary and secondary. Mm-hmm. Primary, uh, primarily primary. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is the brainstem, the reptilian brain, the primary process. And we'll get in more into this as we dive into other articles um, but these primary process uh, structures in the brain are involved in making your felt sense of safety even possible. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, are you having experiences that are effectively and consistently attuned to by your attachment figures? Yeah. Can they teach you how, can they put names to the feelings that you have? Yeah. And can they help you feel safe even in a dangerous situation that you will then get out of. Yeah, so like your primary is the homostatic equilibrium. Yeah, that's right. Where your felt sense of being in this world is uh, within limits of your biology. Yes. Whereas the secondary is 
how you brain. rely on the interdependence of the other yep. to help you when you can't help yourself. That's right. Mm-hmm. And love is Tertiary process. way beyond that yeah. Yeah. because it is a game, a dance, if you will. Mm-hmm. I like dance because it's not as winner or loser, but yeah. a dance of many, many moments where you're you're interdependent and one person is taking the lead and then the next person is and, and you're changing these roles and there's that security yeah really you have to start from yes. the primary and yes. go to the secondary Absolutely. and so forth so forth Absolutely. but i digress on love because um <laughs> we've talked about another podcast for one yeah right we'll i'm sure there will digress. be one where we talk uh, psychoanalytic definitions of love oh. and eroticism <laughs> yes and, desire uh, desire yes yes, yes. The enigma. Okay. So there's another point that I want to bring attention to, which is funny because it's about attention. Oh, I um, like it. <laughs> bring attention to the attention. Yes, because it's one of those spots where there's overlap in the research, right? That says, hey, we should pay attention to this. Yes. This is important, right? And so uh, in the the discussion, um, they look at the importance of attention and reflection is part of, number one, the genesis of these strategies, the misapplication of attention and the lack of reflection being part of how these strategies are developed in the first place. But then as a therapist and in the therapeutic setting, understanding the role of how we help the client focus on Mm. certain aspects of their experience and really seeing our job as the therapist to be the attention director right? Yes. Um, and helping them uh, mm. differentiate between what stimuli are really relevant to their experience, what to pay attention to, which that concept has lovely overlap with other research that has been around for a long time by a man named Eugene Grenlin and mm. a few others that he worked with at the University of Chicago. Um, and uh, they wrote uh, several things, but there's a really short little book specifically called Focusing that was written for clients. And what they found is that over all of the different versions of therapy that um, therapists were applying, one of the common ingredients that determined whether both the client and the therapist believed that it was effective had to do with the use of attention Mm. and focusing. And the therapist understanding how to utilize the, the focused attention in therapy, like in the actual session, as one of the main tools of the therapeutic process. Regardless of what modality you're using, what are you focusing on? What are you drawing attention to? And how profoundly important that is in the therapeutic setting. Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, providing reflection, which I think that word contextualization, mm-hmm. that the reflection process is where we provide the contextualization. Attention is when we're focused on what did we experience? How did we experience it? What did that feel like affectively, somatically, all of that? And then reflection is, and what did it mean? So to mm-hmm. me, this lights up my brain with, oh, we're having a right brain experience first through attention and focusing, and then we're bringing the left brain in after the fact to provide mm-hmm. the story and the contextualization of that felt sense and experience, and so mm-hmm. we have a integrated brain around that traumatic experience. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, and even in you know we've talked about there, Crindon talks about the importance of recall mm-hmm. and how the the cl- the client. The way they recall danger mm-hmm. is telling you about their structures. And so you have yes. the, for the preoccupied tendency, they are talking left hemisphere, they're talking right hemisphere, but at the very 
neocortical level. So they're talking complex. That's why they're ramped up. Yes, exactly. They're telling all these stories about it. And the details. Yeah, whereas the dismissive side is left hemisphere, Mm -hmm. very high. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really affected by that. Mm -hmm. And here's all the reasons why Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Right. And I can talk through this all the way if we're going to get to the problem of evil. We're mm-hmm. going to get there. And you likely will pretty <laughs> quickly. And you will. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. that's the strategy higher, for higher, making higher. sense yes. of just their measly experience yeah. and their own that's conceptualization existential bypassing. Self. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. jumps right to the meaning of life. And mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And So they, they've skipped the attention process yeah. and gone straight for left hemisphere reflection. They want to give contextualization without giving full acknowledgement to their actual felt experience. Mm-hmm. Because the right hemisphere, yeah. Because the right hemisphere, with all of its embodiment and uh, organization of sense, yeah, I feel things in there, Caleb. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. no way, no way, nothing. I don't like that. Yeah, but they won't actually say that. They'll just give you story. Yeah, well, that doesn't. I love that each of us have like a furrowed brow. (laughs) Dismissive means furrowed brow. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh No. I am rejecting my body's experience right yes, now. Yes, exactly. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. So, okay, okay. So my favorite, my favorite perfect moment of talking to someone that was in full-on disintegration between left, left and right hemisphere, you know, giving no attention and only reflection, this person said to me, well, isn't it the goal of therapy to oh. transcend our human experience? <laughs> And and I said, how, well, how was your face? <laughs> what did your face do? Uh, well, you can't Raised see eyebrow. it on the podcast. Uh, no, it was shock and horror, actually. Oh. I didn't even try to hide it. Okay, I, good. And, and my response was, no. <laughs> <laughs> because that's not at all. your experience. Yeah. Yeah. Come good, on, man. No. Good mismatch experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And shock I, and horror. I was expecting you to float and yes. then go crisscross yeah. and then say, you have made it. Yes, exactly. Well, and I think like because of my kind of transpersonal approach, people think that I'm going to be really down for that. And they're like, no, tell me how like much your stomach hurts when you think about yeah, that. Come that's, on. that's what I'm interested in. I want integrated processing yeah. Let's here. talk about how that makes you want to throw up. Yes. I want to feel that with you before because we talk about the I'm existential feeling. meaning. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like my shock was the disconfirming experience it was like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. That's, that's not what we're doing here. Let's feel it before we decide to stick it in an existential box, please. Um, yes. But, yeah, so, so I want to, we're getting to the final moments of this article together and there are so much left in this article. Seriously, so you much. need to read this article and we'll put the, um, link to it in the show notes. Um, yes. you may not be able to get to the actual article cause we, we have access to different things that some people don't Database. because of our yeah. affiliation with universities. But you can but get the DMM lights yes. on Yes, mm-hmm. we'll put Crittenden yeah. stuff in there um, and uh, links to some of her uh, work just on Amazon. So you guys mm-hmm. can, can go get it. Amazing work, seriously. And if you want to have more conversations, you should just hit us up because we'll talk. But uh, in so in the conclusion of this, uh, in this article, I just want to give the hypotheses once more which is that they were looking at uh, whether the chronic PTSD group, um, remember they had those three groups, Mm -hmm. uh, differed from adults with other psychiatric diagnoses and protective strategies, psychological trauma and depression, and had a signature pattern and were heterogeneous, meaning different, in ways that might affect vulnerability to and treatment of PTSD. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in just summarizing some of their findings, and then we'll talk about it, and then we will close. So in that, uh, in, in their findings, um, they illustrated that adults with PTSD and other psychiatric disorders were similar in using unbalanced strategies. Mm-hmm. So back to that DMM 
A, C combinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were similar in that they used unbalanced strategies uh, and they had high rates of depression, mm-hmm. uh, similar to the other uh, clinical group. Right. Um, they differed on psychological trauma, which is interesting, in that the PTSD group had more ongoing traumas from childhood, more complex traumas, and more dismissing and preoccupied traumas. Mm-hmm. So remember, back to their initial populations, they were uh, PTSD and right. then other psychiatric diagnoses. The, one of the differences that they found in those was that the group that had PTSD diagnoses had more ongoing traumas, they were more complex, mm-hmm. and they involved dismissive and preoccupied strategies more than the other clinical diagnoses. Right, which I think to me goes back to that initial question that I had of how how are those two groups going to get differentiated, yeah. right? And so then the answer becomes it's not about what was this strategy the result of trauma, the, the result is yes. Absolutely. Both. And, yeah. yeah. If if adaptive strategies are there, that meant that trauma was present. That's there right. was something in childhood that was stressful. Something enough provoked that, the system yes, in such a way. Yes, that necessitated this uh, adaptive strategy that then later in life became yeah. problematic and maladaptive. And that's, to me, the differentiation is that PTSD diagnosis represents a level of... Um, a threshold. Yeah, and yes. a... Once we pass that threshold, we now have a recognizable commitment yes. to the strategy in yeah. such a way that their mm-hmm. entire nervous system is is bought into this hypervigilance, yes. mm-hmm. this uh, inability to correctly differentiate threat from not threat. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it, it represents all of that to a clinical degree. Quote and the, the commitment is to the belief that danger is imminent. Yes. Because there has been so... I am vulnerable so, to annihilation. Yeah, there has been so much experience and repeated experience of the presence of danger without protection and comfort. Yes, yes, exactly. And, right. and so, you know, could I develop depression, anxiety, OCD, et cetera, Welcome after, you know, one, two, three negative experiences with a lack of protection and comfort? Absolutely. Yes. But if I'm experiencing uh, two or three daily, mm-hmm. if my whole life is like that, if that is just if what one of those my is childhood from was, my attachment figure? Yes. If, mm-hmm. if mother is the source of that, then suddenly we start to reach that threshold where the nervous system is deeply committed to believing and in, that danger is yes, always going to happen. With increasing um, creativity yes, in yes. their strategies yeah, and their and shortcuts. And commitment to that strategy in all different yeah. areas of life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Caleb, any reflections on that? Uh, no. Okay, I've I might. Got, yeah, keep going because okay. I've got He's got some... his own. He's okay. got something he wants um, to say. So... <laughs> Those are the first two uh, hypotheses. So basically they, they supported those, yes. that um, those with PTSD did have more a larger number of traumas in their past and that they were more related to attachment experiences mm-hmm. and that they were largely ongoing and it had more complex tones than those that had other psychiatric diagnoses yes. that didn't qualify. Yeah. For PTSD, which is in perfect overlap to research from Vander Kolkwin. Well, really, from yeah, from just all everybody kinds we of care about. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but specifically, when yes. Vander Kolk petitioned the APA to include developmental trauma um, yes. in the diagnostic mm. manual, he cited you know almost identical research that said, "Hey, you know, this is the threshold, and this is the kind of experiences that seem to create this presentation, and we need another diagnosis that is reflective of that." Um, and so, yeah, it's just important to see where the research really overlaps. Right. So this is their conclusionary statement, because, and I just want to read it, okay. um, mm-hmm. on those two first hypotheses, those two initial hypotheses. These constituted the signature of chronic PTSD. 
which is those two uh, ideas that it was related to attachment figures and that it was complex in the way that they uh, developed a strategy or a shortcut. Mm. Um, thus, our results suggest that adults who developed chronic PTSD in adulthood may, in childhood, have been left, or at least later perceived themselves to have been left, to fend for themselves mm -hmm. and to draw their own meanings from experience. Mm -hmm. However, because they were immature, some of their conclusions were erroneous yes. and maladaptive when acted upon in adulthood. Mm -hmm. Massive. Mm -hmm. Thus, chronic PTSD may reveal the limitations of children's attempts in the absence of supportive attachment figures to accommodate harsh realities early in life. Mm -hmm. This suggests a possible benefit to addressing childhood issues in the treatment of adult PTSD. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. and that is, you know, a perfect um, Just all summary caps, yes. yeah, of a lack of comfort, a lack of protection, of attunement, and a lack of conceptualization after the fact. Yes. I did not get the attention I needed, and I didn't get the help with refle reflection after the fact That's that I right. needed. And that, I feel like, is such a practical direction as a parent, as a caregiver, mm. as a therapist, as a friend of what do we do that actually is helpful in creating resiliency against trauma, but when a trauma actually occurs in our life or in somebody else's, what do we as human needs? We need mm -hmm. comfort, we need um, proactive protection and reactive protection, and we also need help with contextualization. Yeah, what matters here? It's over yes. and that we're, we're here yeah. now, we're yeah. together. Yes, exactly. Yeah. What right. is You're relevant safe. to take from this? How do I make sense of what happened to me in a way that's going to help help me protect myself in the future, but not overreact that's in right. a way that's going to create maladaptive hypervigilance. That's right. And as a therapist, we can do that. Yes. That is incredibly mm -hmm. practical in the application of what this research is telling us. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And well, I was thinking about the very end of that, where it presents the importance of addressing early childhood traumas and treatment. And, um, I don't know if that's the exact wording, but, mm -hmm. um, there's sort of that, I don't know, implicit battle in the field of counseling that's mm -hmm. like, you know, we're going to go and address some of these early experiences or we're not even going to touch those and we're just going to be totally here now and future oriented. Right. Yeah. And I think this is very clear evidence. And, and I, I know there's a ton of dynamics mm -hmm. that can play into the decision of what type of therapy there's time and right. number of sessions and what the client can handle and mm. blah, blah, blah. So if you're just doing first order regu regulation strategies and you're yeah. getting them to a baseline state of um, kind of just being more often than not regulated, awesome. But there is a real necessity and um, reality to which the, the addressing of early childhood experiences needs to be in therapy if you're going to engage in second order change. Mm. Okay, so this is, I think, getting to the third hypothesis, mm. which they were looking at, does this information have implications for the way that we need to do treatment of PTSD? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, does attachment theory and the dynamic maturational model matter? Um, and what they said was absolutely, because mm -hmm. it turns out that those uh, styles mm -hmm. of attachment, those strategies, those shortcuts uh, are reflective of the information processing style and system that is in place and so when you work with a person with an a strategy or a c strategy or an ac combination that is going to be different than any other combination yes. mm -hmm. than any other strategy which necessitates that we as a therapist understand that enough and show up differently yes yeah. so, are malleable yeah so so you know to your point caleb like the the here and now strategy 
is totally colluding with a dismissive attachment style. They're oh, going to yeah. be like all cool. in. I'm in. Great. Yeah. You mean I never have to talk about what happened to me in the past? I'm really into this dismissing that. Yeah. That's you right. Know? Yeah. So now suddenly we're colluding with their strategy mm-hmm. and potentially making it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and I was thinking of, you know, um, one client in particular where we had kind of gotten to this interesting resolution with some event. And I was just like, something doesn't feel <laughs> right something's here. Something's wrong. But there was like enough to trick me just in oh, that yeah. moment. Oh, yeah. And I'm enough also dismissing yeah. st- strategy. So it played into my mm, like, yep, Your client colluded with you. So, but what I noticed <laughs> was when we came back into the session, the way he recalled a recent event told me that that dismissive tendency was still there, still there. Oh, man. because he had not kind of made any shifts in his internal perception mm-hmm. of opening up to the true affect mm-hmm. of the experience. Mm-hmm. And so then I was like, oh, crap. I like I colluded. You, you got me. You got I colluded me. with. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we left that session. And what well, was kind of like this, like, oh, I think we made some good here and now experience experiential mm-hmm. change turned out to be a, a total dismissive. Oh, I guarantee I I like collude with preoccupied attachments all the time. (laughs) We just get all up in the feeling and we talk about the details of all the stuff and a whole Mm -hmm. hour will go by and I'll go, well, that was a great, really chaotic conversation and Mm. a lot of feelings were had. Hope it was exposure therapy. I don't know. a lot of... Tissues were used, yeah. but I don't think we did much. We let, we let the body express <laughs> in relationship with a safe oh, figure. So yeah, it seems like it yeah, nailed it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the nice thing is, is almost always we get another chance to come mm-hmm. back. And in that oh, yeah. space, there's a lot of you know room to be reflective with the client and say, "Hey, here's what I felt last time. How did that feel to you? And what if we tried something slightly different this time?" And experience that together as well. But I yeah. think just constantly reflecting on how that attachment um, presentation yeah. needs to inform the way that we work with the individual. That's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Does anyone have a last? Because I would like to end with a conclusion that they wrote. Um, just reading Let's do it. it. So, does anybody have anything left? Caleb, you got there's, one more? Yeah, there's several things. <laughs> okay. Hit it. Um, I'm debating in my mind whether it's important. Um, I just as a, 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 a just as a dismissive tendency person, yes. um, strategy person. I just want to read something because I think it's interesting because they clustered people with PTSD yes. and found a, a, a particular um, risk and danger in the yes. dismissive tendency. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember. And so that. this this little sense. I'm just going to read this, and you can you feel can it. Uh, yeah feel yeah. it. And if Integrated. you are a dismissing type A know that I feel the affect with you and I weep with you. So That's right. It says PTSD patients using preoccupied type C strategies that invite assistance from others may need a different sort of treatment than patients mm-hmm. using a dismissing type A strategy. The latter group stands out for having been repeatedly and very seriously harmed as children. That's mm-hmm. a type A. Often they recall no loving and protective attachment figure at all. In the face of unremitting threat, they, are, they appear to have found ways to appease powerful people mm-hmm. at the cost of awareness of their own desires mm-hmm. and feelings. In five of six cases, these type A dismissing care, uh, personalities with PTSD were also depressed, mm-hmm. indicating that their strategy was not functional. Mm-hmm. Dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think like there's both in that the reality that 
the type C strategy is more likely to get help because they're going to reach out and be in that more sympathetic activation that requires like more attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas I think this is like my kind of takeaway from this article. One of my main takeaways is that um, that type A dismissing tendency. Yeah. Um, be very diligent with them because mm-hmm. I think they're the ones that could one session say, man, I feel some anxiety. And then you think, oh, we're, we've done it. We're making progress. They're, they're good. Yeah. And then they report the next week. Actually, you know what? My anxiety is totally gone. Mm. And you think, okay, we're like, I think this we're done crazy. with treatment. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think we've kind of oh, sold this. There. Yeah. Mm. And then they go off and the unfortunate part is like, this collusion, they use the term augmenting. Yes. Mm. You're augmenting further that strategy and it mm-hmm. puts them at increased risk, a greater risk for right. chronic PTSD later in the future. And so, with a limiting belief that is, well, I processed I it. Yeah. 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 Almost pro symptom. Exactly. Yes. Which is Ecker again, and we'll, we will get to Ecker, yes. I promise yeah. you. That just, yeah. Crittenden's voice uh, is just so profound. Yeah. Uh, the way that she understands. Yeah these styles and, yes. and what has happened to yeah. them and how Succinct they got there. But affective. Oh my yes. gosh. Mm. All right. So concluding statement, Bridger. Concluding statement. Thank you. Um, so this is in their, uh, some of the last paragraphs that they, that they wrote, but the theory underlying this study emphasizes a adaptation, coping, and ultimately resilience. Mental illness is often treated as a discrete illness as if it were the psychological equivalent of a virus, a bacterial infection, or an injury. PTSD as a psychiatric disorder relies on an injury model. Something dangerous happened that caused a psychological injury and the individual is unable to recover spontaneously. But an alternative model is that the brain has evolved to adapt to the dangers inherent in life and uses experience with danger to shape its own development around the threats present in the individual's context. Our findings both add to the growing chorus that conceptualizes mental illness in terms of universal lifespan processes that support adaptation and also illuminates the link between early exposure to danger and later dysfunction. Exposes the link. Yes. Yeah. It is it is something that we, we are looking at this entirely too narrowly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is not one of the things that I took away from that from that paragraph. We're not just talking about a random onset of an illness. No. Yeah. We're talking about a strategy that went awry. Mm-hmm. And that's the first sentence of the article. And we're yeah. talking about how a human being has evolved yes. to cope with mm-hmm. a traumatic world. Mm. thank you for listening guys i will also say as i am aware of what we've talked about that there's a potential for therapists to feel many feelings many feelings and one of them being oh no (laughs) yeah have i been doing stuff wrong yeah and so i just encourage you if you're a listener one um, this would be a great time to do some Mm -hmm. self-care go for a walk get some um, pro-social engagement with your mm-hmm. friends. Maybe some pet a puppy. Yeah, pet a puppy. Get some oxytocin <laughs> yeah. in your in your body. Get some fruit, um, some water, something. Yeah, I'd also say this is a great opportunity for you to unload this and almost kind of, if you do feel a sense of grief, mm-hmm. to to share that with someone yes. and maybe even a, a therapist yeah. and just say, man, I think I 
I may miss something. Listen and that's okay because that we've been here. <laughs> yes. We've been there. Yes. We've been here we've, for a long time. We, we have continue to come that. here. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And, and that's how we get better. Yes. Um, and so take care of yourselves. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to email us or mm-hmm. you want more resources. Um, yeah. Don't hesitate to reach out. We are here for you. Yeah. Can you, I'm forgetting right now our email address. Oh, yeah. Therapy at beyondhealingcenter.com. How can I forget that? This is simple. (laughs) Um, But we also have uh, some ways that you can uh, support us uh, Mm -hmm. and Beyond Healing Center just in general. Uh, We do have a Patreon um, that uh, is a great way for people to get connected and to become a part of the community and start to contribute to uh, what we're doing Mm -hmm. here so we can get more resources like this Mm -hmm. out to people that need it and that care about it. Um, it also helps us afford uh, recording equipment and editing yes. time and things like that. So it's yeah. really, really helpful. And that's at patreon.com slash beyondhealingcenter. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, our website is beyondhealingcenter.com. Mm-hmm. And, uh, We'd love to connect. We would love to connect with you. So please, please reach out and uh, stay tuned for more of the Evidence-Based Therapist. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us on our website at beyondhealingcenter.com media. Also, subscribe to our Patreon to support us at patreon.com slash beyondhealingcenter. Find all episodes on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening.